We're going to be studying um, passage of scripture in Second Timothy this morning in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1 if you'd like to follow along. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. In the movie, now you're waiting for what the movie is, right? What's it going to be? It's not going to be Rudy. <laughs> in the movie Pearl Harbor, Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck plays the part of a World War II fighter pilot by the name of Rafe McCauley. And in training before the war, he is one of America's top fighter pilots. And uh, before America actually entered the war, which happened, we know, of course, at Pearl Harbor, but before that time, uh, Rafe decided to help the British out in their fight against the Germans. And so he went over to uh, Britain to enlist in the Royal Air Force there to, to fight along with them. And so he's out on the airstrip, and the British commander meets him there to show him which plane he'll be flying, and they're walking along, and they see this uh, uh, Spitfire, British Spitfire airplane there, and it's just riddled with bullets from the previous battles it's been in, in dogfights with the Germans. And then while he's there, a messenger comes up to the British commander and informs him that two, two more British planes have been shot down by the Germans. And so the British commander turns to Rafe and says, are all Yanks as anxious to get themselves killed as you are? To which Rafe unhesitatingly replies, I'm not anxious to die, sir. I'm anxious to matter. He wanted to do something that would matter with his life. And this raises a very profound question. What do we really want out of life? When our life is over, will it have significantly mattered? Do you, or do you, do you want to just, you know, live your life and 
have a good time, succeed, and prosper? Or do you really want to make a difference in life, a difference not only in this life, but a difference that could last for eternity? What greater legacy could be for anyone to make a difference in people's lives that would endure throughout eternity? To be part in some way of proclaiming the gospel of Christ and encouraging people in their walk with Christ. This is what will endure for eternity. And if this is the legacy that we would truly desire to be a person wherever we are and in whatever circumstances we might find ourselves that impacts people for eternity, then we must order our lives now to live intentionally to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, he encourages Timothy to live such a life, a life that will leave a lasting impact on others for Jesus Christ. So I've entitled our passage today, A Life That Makes a Difference. By way of review, as Billy pointed out last week, Paul is in prison. He's writing from prison. His death is imminent. And he's writing to Timothy what he knows may very well be his last correspondence with him. And so he is writing to encourage him, to encourage him to be willing to suffer like Paul is suffering. He's writing to encourage him to retain the standard of sound words which he had received from Paul. And now Paul will continue to exhort Timothy in faithful service and a life that really makes a difference. So how do we do that? How does, what does Paul say? Well, he begins with the need for daily dependence upon God. Verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We notice the affection of the words that Paul writes here, you therefore, my son. He writes to Timothy as his own son. And when we put it into the context of Paul writing what, what he knows may be his final words to Timothy, we can, just, we can just feel the emotion there. You, therefore, my son, this, this is what you've got to do, Timothy. Listen carefully to everything I say. Listen. And the idea here is when he says, you, therefore, my son, is in contrast, Timothy, to the pagan culture. In contrast to those who have even left the faith as Philetus and Hermogenes did, as Paul stated in, in, in chapter 1. In spite of, in spite of what, me, my, what might be prevailing mediocrity, Paul says, Timothy, you be different. You've got to be different, Timothy. I'm counting on you. And he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong, be inwardly strengthened. In other words, Timothy... Find your strength. Find your strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But strength for what? 
find your strength to live faithfully for Jesus. That's the strength of which he speaks. The strength to live faithfully for Jesus. And so where is that strength to be found? It's found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Find your strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength for the Christian life to live faithfully each day does not come from simply our own grit our teeth resolve determination. Our strength to live faithfully comes from God's sufficient and enabling grace. Our strength comes from God's enabling power. But, 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 what does, but what does this really mean? I mean, we talk about, you know, God's sufficient grace, His grace is sufficient, but what does that really mean for us? It means that God Himself can and will give us what we need. Not to be the best athlete or the most successful business person, but what we need to faithfully face the challenges and obstacles, sufferings, temptations, our own weaknesses, all those things that we face in our walk, so that we might be able to live faithfully for him. He will give us that grace and that strength that we might live faithfully for him. It is his divine enablement through his spirit that he's given that lives within us and through the word that can strengthen us from within. Be strong in the grace. But how do we actually experience this? How does it, how does it happen? Well, there's no magic formula. It's not like, you know, Popeye can open a can of spinach and all of a sudden get this, you know, supernatural strength. Or Superman running into the phone booth. For this to happen, we need to have a daily conscious dependence upon him. This is where that strength comes from, by this daily conscious dependence. And ask him daily as we depend upon him, ask him to strengthen us specifically in those areas where we know that we're weak. It might be our temper. It might be lust. It might be spiritual indifference. It might be a lack of love or compassion. We can be strong. We can be faithful in the power of his enabling grace as we depend upon him each day. It is only as we are faithful by his grace that we can make a difference for eternity. A second quality of a life that makes a difference is actively passing on the faith. Verse 2, And the things which you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is Paul's major concern for Timothy to ensure that after his death the apostolic teaching will be passed on for future generations 
And so he outlines a process here. It really has four levels. It has Paul and Timothy, and he says, Timothy, the things that you have learned from me. So it starts with Paul, and Paul gave them to Timothy, and then he says, entrust these to faithful men. So Timothy, you've got to pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. They then will pass it on to others. And so you have this process of passing on the faith to, from faithful people to other faithful people who will then pass it on to others. And I think it's self-evident that to the degree that this pattern breaks down, the church will be weakened in future generations. Well, how does this apply to us? It means that we must be in active and intentional in passing our faith on to future generations. Whether it be through our church and the ministries of our church, whether it be through elders, deacons, or the, the children's ministry, whether it be through various kinds of, uh, of Bible studies in the church or, or in the community, we want to be intentional about teaching the faith, passing on the faith. And we must be doing this in our families, conscientiously, intentionally, passing on our faith to our children and our grandchildren. Far too often, the environment in the home is a passive environment. And the matters of learning the faith are they're left to others to, to, to do it. I'm not suggesting that we have to have catechism classes you know, in our home. But we need to be conscientiously and actively teaching the word and passing on the faith. That will make a difference, a lasting difference. A third way to live a life that makes a difference for Jesus, we must be people of single-minded dedication. Verses 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active services, active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul now uses the imagery of a soldier to describe a faithful servant. In his mind, there are many parallels between what is expected of a Roman soldier and what is expected of a follower or a soldier of Jesus Christ. And of chief importance, a good soldier must be willing to suffer hardship. This goes back to what he said in chapter 1 and verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Join with me in suffering, he said. But he speaks here of enduring, uh, of not only enduring the, 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 the hardship of battles, but he also talks about something else, about the hardship of the lack of comforts that come with military life, and using that imagery of the soldier. See, military life is mission-oriented, not self-oriented. And verse 4 speaks of the dedication of a good soldier 
No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. The idea is this, that a soldier has to make a choice. By virtue of being a soldier, he has limited his involvement in civilian life. He does this to please the one who enlisted him, his commanding officer, if you will. And so it becomes necessary for the soldier to intentionally disengage from certain activities that he or she might that he or she might devote himself or herself more fully to their responsibilities as a good soldier. Because a good soldier is mission oriented and directed oriented and and, and 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 he's mission oriented and directed, I'm sorry. And anything that takes away from that. They just don't involve themselves in because it would take them away from their mission. They want to please the one who called them. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, realize to be a good soldier and to please Jesus Christ, the one who has called you, there may be things that might be fine for others to do, but for you to do them, it would entangle you from your calling, take you away, entangle you and take you away from your calling and service to Jesus. Timothy, as a faithful servant and one who impacts people for eternity, you need a single-minded dedication and devotion to your call as a good soldier. And to us, in a similar way, God is saying, I've called you. He's called us to be soldiers. And if we are going to be a good soldier, first of all, we must join in suffering for Jesus as well. We must be bold. We must stand up for him. And in order to serve Jesus faithfully, there may be things that we determine that we just can't do. Maybe fine for others, but for us to do them, would it would take us away from our involvement in church, our, our ministry responsibilities. Or even the nature of the activity itself would compromise our testimony for Jesus. If we're going to be a good soldier and really please the one who called us and impact others, or eternity, it requires the single-minded dedication of a good soldier. Another quality of a life that makes a difference is moral integrity. Verse 5. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rule. Paul changes the imagery here from the soldier. Now he uses the imagery of an, of an athlete competing in the games. And in order to win the prize, in order to be crowned with the wreath, he must compete according to the rules. 
He's got to follow the rules of the game. No athlete in any competition can do simply whatever they want. In basketball, you can't just pick up the ball and run down the court. In football, you can't grab the face mask and bring a guy down by the face mask and track. You've got to stay on the track. You've got to stay in your lanes. The Russian Olympic figure skater Camilla Valieva has learned that she can't use performing-enhancing substances. If you break the rules, you're disqualified, and you don't get the prize. So what is Paul's point here to Timothy? Timothy, he said, he says, you must serve Jesus Christ according to the rules. Now, what rules, we don't like the word rules, you know. What rules is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about a list of man-made rules. He is referring to God's rules, if you will, of holiness of life and moral character as set forth in the Word of God, the standard of righteousness set forth in the Word. Timothy, he says, you must serve him faithfully and demonstrate that your character, Timothy, is above reproach. Even in the midst of opposition or fear or obstacles. You must demonstrate both the love and the holiness, the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. If you think that you can serve Jesus faithfully and at the same time not be concerned about the moral integrity of your personal life, Paul says you're mistaken. You will be disqualified from the reward. This is God's word to us as well. If we want to impact others for eternity and receive the reward when we stand before Christ, we must live now with moral integrity and moral character. We must live by the rules, if you will, Uh, the standards of righteousness set forth in the word of God, holiness and honesty and purity and truthfulness and love and mercy and compassion. It doesn't matter how big or how important we may be in the secular world or even in the church. If we compromise truth or character, we lose. Think, think of the lasting impact of Billy Graham, whose character was above reproach right until his final breath. Contrast that to Ravi Zacharias whose lasting impact has been decimated because of his moral failure. We want to impact people for eternity. We've got to be people of moral integrity. Still another quality of life that makes a difference is routine faithfulness. A hard-working farmer ought, not, ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. 
Paul changes the imagery yet again. <clears throat> the emphasis here is upon the farmer. Had the soldier, then you had the athlete. Well, now it's the farmer. The, image, the emphasis here is upon the farmer who works tirelessly, the hard-working farmer. He works tirelessly. He works diligently. He works faithfully, just doing the things that need to get done day after day, week after week, plowing, weeding, planting, sowing, harvesting. And if he does so, he will certainly share in the crop of the harvest. He will receive his reward for his routine faithfulness. The point is, the Christian life's not a sprint. It's a long-distance run. And we must continually work hard like a farmer. It's not glamorous. It's not always exciting, but the tireless work is what gains the reward and is required of a faithful servant. And wherever it is, and however it is that you serve Jesus Christ as a mother, a father, a young life leader, a Sunday school teacher, adult teacher, music ministry, what makes the difference in the long run is the routine faithfulness and tireless effort that is put forth. This is what it takes to impact people for eternity. And this is what leads to the joy of the reward. Think about the people in your life that have had the biggest impact on you for Jesus Christ. More than likely, it is the people who have been there for the long haul. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with Christian concerts. You know, they're, they're, they're great. They're wonderful. You know, third day, Chris Tomlin, you know, people. And, and, and this is nothing negative about that at all. But it's not usually the concert that impacts our life for the long run. It's the weekly singing of the worship songs and hymns that ground us in the faith and give us hope that we sing together each week. And it's the routine faithfulness of Nate and Tracy and the worship team to plan and prepare the music for us to sing. That is what makes the difference for us. And that is what will impact us for eternity. We need to be this kind of person, just routine faithfulness to make a difference for others. Verse 7 is next, but I'm going to skip that for now, but I'll come back to it. Don't worry. 
And then we go, Paul next speaks of an eternal perspective that makes a difference. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. He encourages Timothy to remember, that is to be mindful of, to consider, think about, and focus upon. He says, remember Jesus Christ, essential truths about Christ. The essential truths of what he says is my gospel. The basic message that he preached. He highlights two things here about Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus as the risen Savior. We simply must live each day mindful of this glorious truth that Jesus triumphed over death and he is Lord of heaven and earth and all of creation. And this event is really the foundation for all that we believe. When Satan throws his doubts at us about whatever it may be about Christianity, is this really true? We come back to this. Jesus is risen. That's the foundation of our faith. That's what keeps our feet on the ground here. Jesus is risen. But not just that. Remember Jesus Christ, descendant of David. The point is, as the descendant of David, he is the Messiah. And as the son of David, the Messiah, he is returning. And this is the message of hope and accountability to be found faithful. And for us, it means the same thing as Paul intended it for Timothy. When we are facing difficulties, we need to refocus on the core of our faith. Jesus Christ is risen. He's alive. He is Lord. Our faith is certain, and he is coming again. And that's how we make the biggest impact on the world, by focusing, keeping focused on those truths. C.S. Lewis said this so wonderfully. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are the ones who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And finally, a life that makes a difference is one in which there is a willingness to expend ourselves for the good of others. Paul says, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. He is personally suffering hardship, and he has been put into prison now as a common criminal. 
His first imprisonment, he was under house arrest. He was shown some kind of respect at least. But here he just in the Roman prison as a, as a criminal, those who commit gross misdeeds and serious crimes. That's how he was viewed because of preaching the gospel. But he was okay with that because, he said, I may be imprisoned, but the word of God is not imprisoned. They may imprison the messenger, but they can't imprison the message. Why? Because of the power of the word of God. It is God's sovereign word that he has spoken, and the promise of the gospel cannot be imprisoned. So the ultimate effectiveness of our lives is not our personal giftedness, our charisma or charm. It's God working through us as we live out the truth of his word. His word is not imprisoned. And then he says, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul says, because God is working through his word, he is willing to endure all things. He will expend himself in whatever way it takes that will in any way benefit those whom God has now chosen to be his people in the world that they might obtain salvation now and in the fullness of salvation with eternal glory. A life that makes a difference doesn't give up because of obstacles, even suffering, but is willing to suffer for the gospel and the good of others. Let's put it, try to put this all together. When we, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are called to follow him. We are called to serve him and impact others that will make a difference for eternity. And to do so, we must order our lives to live faithfully for him now. This is kind of a long list of things, seven different things that we've actually seen from our passage today, but don't get overwhelmed by the number. Maybe God is impressing just one or two of these areas upon your mind, upon your heart today, and you say, yeah, I, 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 I need to work on this. Let's go through them quickly. A daily dependence upon God. This is a daily conscious dependence that we have upon him to ask him to strengthen us, to find strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We ask him to strengthen us specifically in the areas where we know we are weak. And this is why a daily time with the Lord in the word and prayer is so important. It's not something like it's a righteous act that you just check off a list and I said to say I did a good thing today. I spent five minutes with the Lord. That's not the point of it. The point is spend that time with him in the word and in prayer and ask him, <coughs> ask him for his strength in the areas that we need him the most. It's a conscious dependence upon him to be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we've got to be actively passing on the faith. We've got to be active and intentional about this. Are you involved in this in any way to be passing on the faith to future generations? Thirdly, we've got to be people of a single-minded dedication to join in suffering for Christ. And as a good soldier, we want to prioritize our lives so as not to get entangled unnecessarily in things that take us away from our devotion and service to Jesus. We must be people of moral integrity. As an athlete must compete according to the rules, so much we, so must we live with the rules of moral character and integrity. We must be people of routine faithfulness. It's not just the big names, the big events that impact people for eternity. It's the, it, it, like the farmer, it's the routine faithfulness of godly people that really make a difference. We must faithfully serve Jesus each day. And in the seemingly small things as well. We must live with an eternal perspective, living each day with the confidence, foundation of all that we believe is Jesus is risen, and with the hope that he's returning. Those who make the biggest impact on the present world are those who think the most of the next. And finally, a willingness to expend ourselves for the good of others. A willingness to suffer for the gospel and for the good of other people. Now we come back to verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul says, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding. The Lord will show you how it applies to you. Don't just dismiss these words as, you know, just another sermon. I mean, this is really a powerful verse. If we really think about what we read or hear from the word, he will show it, show us how it applies to our lives. Will you consider what the Lord says and allow him to speak to you through his word and give you understanding for how you might And your life might make a greater difference in the lives of others for eternity. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. And we do pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would open our eyes to see, open our ears, to hear, and open our hearts to receive all that you would say to us today, all that you would have for us today, that we would consider what you have said to us so that you will give us understanding in everything and show us how it applies to us and what changes we may need to make. Lord, give us a greater vision for our lives than simply temporal success. But to live with that vision 
of making a difference in people's lives that will last for eternity. May this be our desire. And may you show us through your word today how we might more effectively live for you, how we more might live for you more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.